Welcome to the Political Notebook. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. A lot of drama in the Arizona State Legislature this week as a new proposal would send to Arizona voters a constitutional amendment banning sanctuary cities. Bram Resnick tweeted that the law, quote, amounts to a statewide up or down vote on SB 1070, the most divisive piece of legislation in state memory. Activist Randy Perez tweeted that the new proposal was a racist attack on our community coming straight from the White House. And Tucson Star columnist uh, Tim Steller tweeted that he perceives a ratcheting up of rhetoric, action, and tension surrounding immigration and the U.S.-Mexico border. He says it's election year. Trump is building conflict, motivating his supporters. So first question here, uh, what do you see as going on with this new proposal? Do you think there is a legitimate reason to pass uh, the new law? What, what is the law? And, and, uh, or is this just election year theatrics? Uh, the answer is both. Um, just to, to set the stage, I, I favor a general amnesty for those who are here illegally. Uh, I wrote two columns against Senate Bill 1070 before it was uh, adopted. Um, however, I don't think those who oppose amnesty are per se racist. I don't believe uh, those um, who oppose, um, who, who, who believe that our immigration laws should be enforced are per se uh, racist, um, or uh, those who believe that state and local officials should cooperate with the enforcement of federal law to the maximum extent possible are racist. I think that you can, in good faith, um, oppose an amnesty, want to see our laws enforced, and want to see state and local officials cooperate. This, however, um, since those were the provisions of SB 1070, although the most roundly criticized that were actually upheld as constitutional by the U.S. Supreme Court and our current law, uh, this is primarily a political gesture. It's an attempt to create something to get um, conservatives who care about immigration and are generally immigration restrictionists to the polls. There's a variety of uh, different um, initiatives and uh, initiatives that are likely to drive more liberal voters to the polls. Um, so overall, I do believe that this is a uh, political, tactical decision. There is a slender public policy rationale for doing it. Uh, the current requirement that state and local officials cooperate with federal uh, enforcement of immigration laws to the maximum extent permitted by federal law is a statute. Um, it's something that the legislature has adopted. Uh, there is a possibility uh, that if an Arizona city decided to defy that and adopt policies that didn't um, permit uh, local cooperation with federal uh, immigration enforcement agencies, that a judge would hold uh, that if they were a charter city, uh, they had the right to make that decision on their own and that the legislature couldn't dictate that to them. 
by moving that language from statute to the Constitution, as SCR uh, 1007 would do, you would eliminate the possibility that a judge at, certain, at some point in time uh, would hold uh, that a city did have the right to declare themselves a sanctuary city and refuse to cooperate uh, with um, federal um, law enforcement immigration officials. That's obviously not a clear and present danger uh, at present, um, but it is at least a thin policy rationale for moving it from the statute to the Constitution. And just to, to lay all the, the facts out here, just about what the what this constitutional amendment would do, it basically says, and I'm reading here from the uh, original version, that a county, city, or town of this state may not limit or restrict the enforcement of federal immigration laws or state-related immigration laws. And then uh, the introduced amendment goes on to basically specify aspects, as you said, that are already in uh, state law. The, the, the primary <clears throat> controversy uh, is over um, what's uh, known as detainers. So if you've got someone who's in a state or local prison or jail who is here illegally and is about to be released um, in some circumstances, usually uh, more dangerous uh, offenders, um, federal immigration law enforcement officials uh, will ask the state or local government officials um, not to release that person when their term is up, to instead hold them for a short period of time until the federal immigration officials can pick them up in order to uh, initiate deportation uh, proceedings against them. Uh, to the extent there are uh, sanctuary cities um, around the country uh, that are um, truly qualified as sanctuary cities, what it mostly involves is refusing those detainers. And there is no, um, no one who runs a, an incarceration facility in the state of Arizona who is refusing to uh, honor um, federal immigration detainers. Uh, Maricopa County Sheriff Paul Penzone has been roundly criticized in parts of the immigration rights community uh, for uh, not uh, refusing uh, to honor those detainers, and he has flat said that he's doing it. So if you want to talk about something substantive, that's, that is where there, is, there are things going on uh, where um, cities around the country, some are refusing to honor these detainers. That's, that's the real substantive issue involved. But that's not what this specific uh, amendment or this specific constitutional amendment deals with. No, it, it would include it because you, you have to cooperate with the federal government to the maximum extent permitted by law, and, and that, honoring detainers okay, but, would, would fall within that category. But that's different from uh, what was uh, feared in, under the original SB 1070, that under a routine traffic stop or in a, in a routine uh, situation that you would hold someone longer in order to try to attempt to find out what their immigration status is. I mean, that 
it's my understanding that there's a uh, there's a directive that you should not hold someone uh, an additional amount that you normally would under under law enforcement circumstances in order to try to get their immigration status. That was left unresolved um, by the U.S. Supreme Court case, which upheld that part of SB 1070. Um, what the law says is that if a law enforcement official has um, reasonable cause to suspect someone is here in the country illegally, um, they are to do what's, and I forget the exact words, but basically what's, what's practical and expeditious uh, to do to ascertain uh, their uh, legal status. Um, the Supreme Court upheld that, uh, but did say that there could be a constitutional issue depending upon the length that someone uh, was detained for that purpose. Um, the uh, Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, which covers Arizona, uh, has been uh, pretty tight about what that period of time could be. But that's largely a... Um, unresolved legal issue, but as a practical matter, um, the instructions that cities have given their police is not to spend, don't, don't detain people longer in order to complete that function. They're saying don't do that. Most okay. of the most of the local police agencies are under orders not not to do that. Um, and there is nothing either in SB 1070 or in uh, this constitutional amendment uh, that would uh, require uh, a more prolonged stop for purposes of determining uh, legal status. So you say that the really the only sort of rational justification for making it a constitutional amendment is to is to make it that much more secure and un movable and unchallengeable. Is that the argument they're making? I mean, is that the argument uh, Doug Ducey's making for, for wanting this? Is that the argument that Republicans are making for putting this on the it, on the ballot potentially? It, it is an element of their argument, but not the prime argument. They're, they're, they're uh, trying to uh, seize upon what they regard as the the um, favorable politics uh, for their side about in vain against sanctuary cities and say that we're going to uh, constitutionally prohibit them in, in Arizona. Um, Ducey has uh, made his primary argument that this is the rule of law. Um, that's an incorrect argument. Uh, it is federal law. These immigration laws are federal laws. Uh, but under our federalist system, um, states don't have to spend their own resources enforcing federal law. Um, and so it's so if there were sanctuary cities, they would not be undermining the rule of law. They would be exercising their independent sovereign authority. Uh, under the U.S. Constitution, and the U.S. Supreme Court upheld that notion that the federal government can't, in essence, dragoon uh, state and local governments uh, into doing 
the federal government's work for them uh, in uh, the case in which Obamacare's constitutionality was upheld. As part of that, uh, the court uh, found that uh, the federal government couldn't require states to increase coverage of Medicare in order to continue receiving federal funds for Medicaid, uh, excuse me, for Medicaid. Um, and, uh, and, and that was one of the arguments uh, that was used by the court to uphold the provisions of SB 1070 that were upheld, that, that, it, that the state could direct that its own resources uh, be used um, to assist, didn't have to, but could. So a so-called sanctuary city that chose not to would be exercising its own authority, not undermining the rule of law. So I think that that's taking the argument in the wrong direction. And maybe where this is coming from also is that Tucson recently had a, uh, a vote on whether to turn their city into a sanctuary city or not. They overwhelmingly voted and it's a very liberal city, but they overwhelmingly voted to not turn into a, a sanctuary city. And one of the strongest arguments uh, that, that won was that they were afraid of the uh, sort of retribution at the state level of funding and things that might that might affect them. Is it is it proper or is it justifiable or constitutional for a state government to retaliate against a, a local government for uh, or withhold? funding for turning into a sanctuary city? Um, there is a, a, a separate law um, which says um, that a member of the legislature can file a complaint uh, with the attorney general uh, finding, uh, alleging that a local government is operating in violation of state law. And there's then a process that undergo that, that is undertaken, but if it's determined that the local government is operating contrary to state law, uh, then um, funding that it gets from uh, the uh, state uh, is uh, withheld or uh, reduced. Um, the state Supreme Court has considered that law um, there has not been a successful challenge to the constitutionality of that law. Uh, and so um, it, 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 it isn't a threat that is specific to the issue of sanctuary cities. It's just a general provision uh, that says if you're in violation of any state law, um, you can have your... Uh, state funds withheld until you come into compliance with state law. Um, so uh, the issue of the extent to which the state can dictate what charter cities can do uh, is one that, frankly, um, the courts have not done a good job of drawing clear lines regarding. And um, we, we, we have that going before the state Supreme Court right now uh, with respect to the city of Phoenix um, up in the fees that are charged to uh, Uber and, and Lyft riders uh, for drop-offs and pickups uh, at the airport. Um, the allegation is, is that that violates a um, state law that was passed uh, by the public that you can't 
increase taxes on services. And so that's being litigated. Um, so I, so it, it isn't that there's been a heavy-handed, if you do this on a sanctuary city, uh, then we're going to whack you. It's, it's more of a general process uh, for any instance in which it is alleged that a local city is operating contrary to any state law whatsoever. Just politically on this going into the election, the Republicans are obviously betting that bringing up this issue again is going to fire up their supporters. Do you think that is a smart political bet to put this on uh, on the ballot? Is this going to help Republicans or is it going to balance out because it'll also turn out uh, anti, uh, I mean, that the opposition as well? Uh, I think it's probably a tactical mistake. Um, I don't think that um, immigration restrictionists uh, need any additional motivation to get out to vote. Trump's their guy. Um, he's fighting their fights more than uh, any other um, elected, significant elected official um, has ever. Um, and, and so I think that to the extent uh, the immigration restrictionist point of view uh, drives turnout, You've already got that baked into the cake. Um, I think what it does, uh, since it is arguably gratuitous, um, there's no current threat of a sanctuary city existing in Arizona. It's already against the law. Um, I think it um, will uh, additionally alienate um, independence uh, and even... Uh, some uh, Republicans who uh, don't believe that immigration is um, the uh, singular issue on which uh, these elections should be decided or who don't believe that uh, harsh enforcement as opposed to finding out some way to develop a path of le to legalization is uh, the right step. So I, I think it's, I, I don't know that it increases turnout on the left as much as it does alienate centrist voters who don't believe harsh enforcement is uh, the right policy and regard this somewhat correctly as a gratuitous step. So I think it's a tactical error. So Trump is holding a rally in Phoenix this week. Uh, and I'm not sure if they still chant build the wall or whether it's like keep building the wall or keep reinforcing certain sections of the wall. But what just overall, uh, it's been almost four years. What has uh, Trump's record been so far? If we were if we we're judging him by what he's promising uh, to deliver or what his his followers expect him to do, um, how should we look at his record in regards to immigration? I think it's fair to say that that um, the totality of what he's done, uh, which includes his rhetoric on on the subject, uh, has uh, reduced the incidence of illegal immigration into the United States. Uh, he did turn back uh, the tidal wave of. Um, family uh, immigration that was uh, occurring from 
Central America and, and with what a lot of policies that a lot of people uh, criticize uh, harshly in regard is uh, not humanitarian. And the numbers show that reduction? Yes, okay. yes. Apprehensions at the border are way, way uh, down. Um, and, and, and so, I mean, he once he was elected, he, he uh, faced this tidal wave. And it's largely receded. I think that the incidence of uh, illegal immigration has reduced. Arizona also, beyond Senate Bill um, 1070, and more important than 1070, adopted a requirement uh, that all employers uh, had to use E-Verify um, to uh, determine uh, the eligibility of those they hire uh, to legally work in the country. And when 1070 was adopted, Arizona had one of the highest ratios of illegal immigrants as a percentage of the population and illegal immigrants as a percentage of the workforce in the entire country. Uh, the combination of what Trump has done and what was done locally uh, has substantially reduced the um, concentration of illegal immigrants in both our population and uh, in our workforce. Um, so I, I think you'd have to credit his policies with having had an, an effect. Now, you had simultaneously um, the recession in the United States, the lingering after effects. In Arizona, very, very slow recovery for the, the construction uh, industry where a lot of illegal immigrants had found uh, employment. So there were other things going on. Uh, so you can't credit all of it. But so with his, in terms of his policies, I mean, he uh, that's just the, the decision to uh, prosecute people, p families, which, I mean, it was criticized as being a family separation policy, and, and in effect, the decision to do that did cause... Uh, family separations. Um, the only other thing I can think of that was actually got through was him pressuring Mexico to crack down on their side in, in, uh, of Central America. He's gotten, I mean, he did the workaround Congress to appropriate funds uh, to, to pay for, you know, future wall construction. But what actually uh, would you say that he accomplished uh, that that affected that well, other you, than you, was it just those two things well, well you have those things um, he has eliminated stop and release as a policy for apprehensions um, on the border uh, the Obama administration had adopted a blind eye policy to illegal immigration uh, unless there was some other serious offense of some criminal law involved. Uh, he um, reversed uh, that policy. Um, and uh, I do think uh, his leveraging of Mexico to be tougher uh, in keeping Central American um, immigrants from reaching the United States uh, has had a tremendous effect in, in uh, reducing um, 
Central American immigration uh, to the United States. Uh, so I think I think if you look at the totality, uh, he he has had an effect, uh, and an effect in the direction that he promised. Now we're still a long way uh, from uh, having immigration laws that are fully um, implemented and and enforced. And uh, he has increased resources that are devoted to that effort, um, but it's still a problem that overwhelms the capacity of the system to deal with. I mean, we need some sort of comprehensive immigration reform, and and I think it bothers me. What bothers me about, I mean, just the way we're talking about it, it sounds like uh, a little bit different than I think what it feels like and sounds like to certain communities um, when it when when those kind of policies are combined with uh, the rhetoric that is like demonization of. Uh, of migrants from um, from highlighting the uh, you know the crime that that is committed when statistically uh, there's fewer crimes uh, violent crimes committed uh, by undocumented immigrants than the general American population and just uh, you know metaphors that he says in his rallies like he's he uses elaborate story uh, about a snake uh, recently in his, in his rally really uh, to try to to try to paint the picture that we got to be careful because these these da- these dangerous immigrants are po- are going to poison you know poison our communities, and I think it's it's you know it's um, it is divisive. <laughs> it turns a lot of people off, and I I, I um, and we how do you get one of the I guess one of the failures that I see is is not getting. Uh, Comprehensive immigration done when you when you could have made a deal uh, on it with the Democrats in a way that would also protect the Dreamers. That um, any I think a reasonable person, even if you don't agree with quote unquote amnesty, say that uh, we need to have some sort of fix for young people that through no fault of their own are here in this country. They're they're in our schools um, and they're American. <laughs> through and through. So George W. Bush did not succeed in getting comprehensive immigration reform adopted. Barack Obama did not uh, succeed in getting comprehensive immigration reform adopted, even when he had a 60 vote, 60 vote majority in, in the Senate. And both of them believed in comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, as I've said, I disagree um, with Trump on immigration. Uh, I favor a general amnesty. Uh, I would move on dreamers independently of anything else because I do believe that um, they are as you described it. They're innocent victims of, of uh, their circumstances. Um, but people who are people who broke the law to come here, so exclude the dreamers. Uh, this notion that they have a right to legalization uh, or that it's divisive uh, only to want the laws as they currently exist enforced, um, I I think uh, both uh, 
undermines one of the fundamental principles of this country, the rule of law. Uh, and I think it is divisive in itself. Um, this is something that a generous country should do, uh, not something uh, that, it that it is a matter of right to obtain, uh, or uh, that it is per se racist uh, to disagree with that as the policy that should be adopted. Uh, so um, I think it, it, there's no question. I mean, Trump is a divisive person from the time he wakes up in the morning to the time that he goes to bed at night, and then again when he wakes up at 3 or 4 a.m. and issues a tweet. And that is the way in which he practices politics. He draws bright lines where he thinks that there's more people on his side of the line uh, than the other. Um, but it is also divisive uh, to be chanting uh, in a legislative uh, hearing, uh, kill the bill, kill the bill, kill the bill. I mean, that's not exactly a persuasive argument. Or to accuse those who are wanting this on the ballot uh, of being per se racist. That's equally as divisive. Uh, I believe that we are a big-hearted enough country that if we made sure that this was going to be the last amnesty, and I've long argued that the way you do that is to make E-Verify a requirement for all employers, um, that this country would say, uh, we don't want to break up the mixed families where the father is illegal, the mother is legal, the children are a mix of legal or illegal. Uh, I think we're a big-hearted enough country that we would get there. Uh, but it's not the, just the divisive um, rhetoric between with Trump and the immigration restrictionists that keep us from finding that sweet spot. The actions and language of those who are demanding an act of grace, um, I think, uh, is equally as uh, divisive and perhaps equally to blame. Yeah, I think there it's totally understandable that that uh, people and Trump supporters feel like the the laws aren't being respected and especially when you saw you know people in the debates earlier in the Democratic race calling for um, you know comprehensive health care uh, even for undocumented immigrants and then ex ex uh, basically saying open borders I mean, and that wasn't even that it wasn't even used in a you know Republicans are attacking crazy. That's kind of what they were advocating for. <laughs> so and I, yeah, I, I I have written what what the Republicans used to falsely <laughs> accuse the Democrats of supporting. They are now openly supporting. And uh, and there's no signs that there are you know any you know any inclinations that that any of the Democrats will even say that we should secure you know, using the quote unquote secure the, the border. I mean, they don't even, they don't even say that. So I can understand, you know, the, the feelings of, of Republicans to, to want that. Um, and, you know, but I also think, uh, you know, on the other side, you know, just having, just having a reasonable sense of um, human concern for the, for the communities that are, you know, they, and, and like George W. Bush, uh, George, I think Jeb Bush said this, uh, 
before before Trump took over the Republican Party when he was trying to be president is they come here for love. They're coming here for opportunity. And that that's something like if you're, we should be proud of that as Americans, that people want to come here. People want to escape their circumstances to come to our country because we're a country of opportunity. And, and that's a good thing. And that's why, you know, in our public school system, you know, we, we offer – education for everyone and we instill the the values of our country. I mean, why isn't that celebrated as a, you know, as a good thing rather than saying, you know, to, to, to demonize that. And, and, and so there's common ground, I guess, to, to be had just in the emotional place maybe needs to, needs to come before we can make a, make a solution to it. I just, you know, I, um, I don't know how it happens politically to get to that place where we can, agree on that but um my own belief is if we can deal with the enforcement end of it um then you would see a huge consensus uh an actionable consensus in favor of um some kind of amnesty for those who are here illegally if a persuasive case can be made uh, that this will be the last one that will be necessary and we won't have uncontrolled illegal immigration in the country again. But wouldn't even that word amnesty in there, wouldn't that cause the right-wing media to not let it happen? I mean, Trump was close to making a deal with the Democrats to, to allow, uh, you know, not complete amnesty, but some some amnesty for a uh, heavy part of the border wall that he wanted but once the meet, once the you know the base and the and the you know intense you know kind of breitbart sort of um right wing media comes out then it's like well we can't really do that i mean how do you get beyond that when when such a such a strong i and and powerful part of the electorate yeah. just says no way and, and that will remain the case. There's, there's probably a fifth to a quarter of uh, the electorate um, who would oppose amnesty irrespective of the um, circumstances. Uh, but I believe if, if you could make a persuasive case that this would be the last one that would be required, that we won't get back to the point of having uncontrolled illegal immigration that the human stories of people who have have settled lives here and, and, and been productive, contributing members of society and families that would be broken up um, by uh, continuing to deport people who, after that, um, remained here in the country, uh, I believe that there would be a sufficient critical mass of support to have some kind of general amnesty to overcome uh, that uh, implacable opposition from a segment of uh, the hard right. Um, because you would, if you remove from the argument, it's just going to start all over again, which I think is probably the most persuasive argument that those who resist anything have. If you remove that argument from them, then they have to deal with the reality. Okay, you've got father uh, illegal, mom legal, some kids legal, some kids illegal. 
there's not a danger that this is going to be an invitation to floods of additional illegal immigrate immigrants in the future. Is it really our policy that we want to break that family up as opposed to uh, giving them some kind of a uh, legal status? I think that's a far more difficult argument for the hard immigration restrictionist right to make as opposed to you're just going to start all over again. Last question here is President's Day weekend, and now it's used to celebrate all presidents. It was originally, you know, around President George Washington's birthday. Uh, George Washington comes back, looks around, sees the American people, American government. What do you think? Oh, I think his it, initial reaction. I, I think any any founder would be astonished at what the federal government has become, uh, and Washington in particular would be astonished at the extent to which we have ignored his sage advice to avoid uh, tangling alliances across the world. Do you think those, oh, oh <laughs> tangling alliances with other countries? I thought you were going to talk about uh, to avoid political parties. Oh, yes, a, yes. <laughs> he, he would be roiled by that as well. But do you think there was an interesting article recently, J.V. Last at the Bulwark uh, wrote an article about how the parties are deteriorating in terms of their institutional structure. Maybe there's still factions, intense factions, but do you think, do you see that same uh, deterioration of the party as institution? I see a deterioration of the two-party system. Um, I think you will always have political affiliations. Um, Like-minded people will band together to try to increase their political influence. Uh, but I do believe we're going to move into sort of a post-two-party um, political uh, system. Um, I don't know exactly how. I don't know what it will look like. Um, but... <laughs> The unappetizing nature of the choices that the two parties are like, likely to offer in this election um, may be the place where it begins. Well, we'll leave it there for this episode. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Overcast, anywhere you can find podcasts.